um, much to the chagrin of Admiral Watley, who's also there for the inauguration of Bajor into the Federation. So um, Admiral Watley uh, would rather have been uh, working on the uh, Bajor's entry into the Federation because that was kind of like his whole mission since the very beginning of the series. Um, but Cisco has reached an all-new level of enlightenment, being able to see the future. Unfortunately, it is taking a toll on his body, so much so that he's having terrible headaches and even misses the big signing of Bajor into the Federation of Planets. He instead crashes into the meeting with grave warning that Bajor must stand alone or be destroyed. Overcome by the stress and the headaches, he collapses. Dr. Bashir's progress isn't good. He needs to do surgery or Cisco will die. But if he does the surgery, no more visions, no knowledge of the universe, no knowledge of the future. His next of kin, Jake, decides that he needs his dad much more and has Bashir do the surgery. Cisco wakes up distraught to find that the visions are gone, but stands by his decision to advise Bajor not to join the Federation. Whew! All right, a long one. Um, lots of little pieces. We're going to have to kind of delve a bit deeper into this one. Um, but yeah, I think this episode might be a long one, Matt, because this is a uh, this is a pretty big episode in the, the Deep Space Nine pantheon, isn't it? It is a pretty important one, yeah. Like, there's a lot to sort of go through here because there's... Yeah, this is, there's a lot going on here, for sure. Right, and not only is there a lot of little pieces that we want to pick up for this kind of particular story, but there's also a lot of foreshadowing as to like what's to come, so we're also going to need to look at did those things end up happening, and how did they look as um, they kind of eventually show up in the rest of the series. So, um, strap in everybody, this one's going to be a marathon. Yes. All right, Matt. Well, it's that time of uh, the week where uh, we see how I made out because if I remember correctly, I think I had quite a few of the points. Like we talked about, this is a it's a pretty big episode in the Deep Space Nine realm. So um, let's kind of swing back to how I made out last week when I predicted what this episode was about. Yeah, this is definitely like a linchpin sort of episode. Uh, you actually did extremely well um, when I sort of. Listen to what you said last week. Um, I was pretty impressed. Like, you pretty much nailed it as far as the story and some of the other uh, important things that were going on. Uh, the only thing that I was sort of maybe could be nitpicky about is that you didn't mention the city of Bahala, but otherwise, like, you know, you, you pretty much nailed it. So, uh, uh, on a rating of uh, out of five paintings of the lost city of Bahala, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to give you five out of five. Oh, a little, little uh, anticipation there, a little uh, trickery. I thought you were going to go four out of five, but you know what? I uh, I will take it because... Uh, I'm feeling generous today, so I'll, I'll, go, I'll, let you, I'll give you a five out of five. Cause... I'm going to need those points for when we get into like later seasons of Enterprise that I've never seen or uh, <laughs> the animated series that I've never watched. All right, so let's kind of go over our overall impressions of this episode, and if by any chance we remember the first time that we saw it, then uh, we will talk about uh, kind of what we remember from it. So um, I guess first off, do you remember seeing it? What was your impressions then, and what are your impressions now? Uh, I'm guessing the first time I saw it was during the original run, because I was pretty into Deep Space Nine then, so I feel like that was probably when I saw it the first time, but I'm not 100% sure. Um I imagine when I was younger, this was maybe sort of a boring episode because there's a lot of um, sort of quasi-religious uh, stuff going on mm -hmm. that I may not have been as interested in. But I mean, now you watch it and it's, it's such an important episode 
for the you know as as far as what comes after it. Uh, so I thought it was pretty good. Um, it was pretty interesting to watch. So yeah, I I thought it was a, it was a good episode. Uh, what what do you where, where do you sit with this one? When I first watched it, I actually remember kind of thinking like, oh, this seems like really super important. And I had um, heard little like rumblings and stuff of the Dominion and stuff. So um, I remember thinking like, because he even mentions the Dominion, I think it might be the first time. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I was like, oh, okay, this is important. It kind of perked me up a little bit. Um, and I think it's, I still feel that way. I still feel like this is a pretty good look at why Deep Space Nine is so popular, even though it's kind of a cog in a bigger machine, it's like this is um, why it was so good and the serialization of the show ended up being so popular kind of with fans long term when you look back. So yeah, yeah no, it's a solid one. Um, let's talk about a little bit of the background and development, um, some interesting bits and pieces that we kind of found and discovered as we go. Um, this is actually the first time that Kira explicitly says that Bajor... Uh, joining the Federation is a good thing, and she's actually excited about it. So this is like a big switch. And oh yeah, I was gonna say like that's pretty shocking. Like when you when you think back to the the pilot, she's yeah. like dead set against it. She's like, right. I shouldn't be here. They're just gonna be like the Cardassians were. Blah right. blah blah. Yeah, yeah. It's a big shift. And I think that this is kind of um, one of the things that is. It's not really in the middle because it's season five of like you know, seven, but like, this is kind of a big starting point or a big kickoff towards like everything that's going to happen in the last two seasons. Right. Like this is yeah. going to be kind of like, um, the, I don't know, the catalyst, let's call it. Right. Um, cause this is also the end of what was kind of called the emissary trilogy. So there was like right. Ascension, I'm uh, sorry, destiny, Ascension, Rapture. And this kind of like sets up that, you know, because it was, like, a little bit uncertain as to whether uh, Cisco was, in fact, the emissary. Like, Kai Wynn doesn't really even, like, believe it in past episodes. And this one, she fully admits, like, oh, yeah, he definitely is. Yeah, yeah. It was, Kai, Kai Wynn kind of played an interesting role in this episode, which is very different than she normally does. I mean, normally she's this right. really annoying, really sort of, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, a like, scheming, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in this episode, you sort of, you see a much different side of that character. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that um, this is kind of when it, it goes into really great territory because um, if you go back to kind of the first episode, the emissary, Picard tells Cisco, you know, you're going to need to get these guys to join the Federation doing like whatever you have to do. Anything breaking the, you know, save breaking the prime directive. Yeah. Um, and then, like, in a kind of a weird way, he becomes, like, a religious, like, prophet, uh, you know. And in this one, he has, like, literal god-like abilities. Yeah. And, now, and, and then they're going to join, right? Which is, it's, like, kind of a weird, it's, like, a weird kind of progression that it ends up taking. Like, not really anything that I would have kind of predicted when I was watching the show. Like, it's kind of a surprising twist that he ends up being such like a you know like it's kind of like imagine if you went to you know you go to Italy to do some sort of job and you like end up becoming the Pope like <laughs> like you just happen to fall into it like it's a pretty crazy crazy thing to be talking about like in the writer's room right yeah it's and it's definitely a very new sort of thing for Star Trek they've always sort of mm -hmm. shied away from 
sort of big picture religious things like this. I mean, they would, you know, again, in an episode, if it was, you know, suitable for whatever they're trying to point, they're trying to get across, they, you know, they would do it. They would go that, that way. But like, this is like sort of an ongoing thing throughout the whole series. And that's kind of a different take. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think like Gene Roddenberry hated religion, right? Well, so yeah. Like he just didn't want it. But like, yeah, even in next gen after he left, you didn't really see it that frequently. Right. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, I also read that um, there's actually only really six full solid episodes dedicated to like Bajor and like the religion and stuff like that, which I was like shocked to see because it's always kind of mentioned, you know, Kira goes to church and, you know, sometimes like it's going on in the background, but there's actually very few that were like very solely based on like either being emissary or, um, you know, Bajor as like a religion. And I think that uh, I read also that some of the people that were behind the scenes were doing this intentionally because they were like kind of nervous about it. Like this is a big, big, big step for, for Star Trek. I think. Yeah. I, it, it is kind of shocking that there's only six episodes, but when, if you think about it, it's it, like, it's alluded to constantly. But, right. But I mean, if you really think about it, I guess it, it isn't that surprising mm-hmm. that they, it was really only six episodes where they really sort of dug deep into it. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe that's why it's so good, too. It doesn't become stale if you just keep hammering it down, right? So, um, Well, maybe that's why it works, too, because they, right. they don't dwell on it so much. It's it, like it's a very well-established that it's an important part of Bajoran culture, but they don't, they, like, they don't really get too deep into it. Right, and I like that, and I think that that's, uh, that's what makes this one so memorable as well. All right, well, you know what? Like I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a big one. So let's jump into the plot. I've got lots of questions for you. I've got lots of uh, talking points, lots of discussion stuff. So There's a uh, lot there. Yeah, suit up, everybody. <laughs> uh, buckle in. Um, we'll start with a teaser. And, of course, Dax, Kira, Cisco are all in the conference room. Uh, they've got this famous painting. It's 20,000 years old. Uh, actually, is the painting 20,000 years old, or is it the city was 20,000 years old? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, if the painting is 20,000 years old, it looked pretty good. <laughs> it looked amazing, right? Yeah. Um, well preserved. So they've gotten it back from the Cardassians, who obviously like had smuggled it off from the war, and they're just kind of sitting around and uh, you know enjoying it. Um, yep. Do you think that this is a direct link to like, is it supposed to be Atlantis or like Bajorian Atlantis? And are they also kind of doing like, remember in World War Two, like when all the paintings got stolen, like I think the Mona Lisa was stolen and stuff like that. And then yeah, uh, they kind of had to give it back to all the people who like originally had it. Is this like a direct link kind of making it seem like the Cardassians are similar to like the Nazis in World War Two? And then is Bahala kind of like an Atlantis? Uh, I think given that the Cardassians were, like, modeled after Nazi Germany, I think it's pretty safe to say that, uh, yeah, this is maybe sort of, uh, like, a, you know, I think that's sort of the idea here of, like, okay, yeah, we're going to finally give back some of these paintings and artifacts that we plundered. So I'd say that's probably a reasonable parallel to make. Uh, As for Atlantis... Uh, I guess it's kind of a similar thing. I mean, it's I mean it's a city versus a continent, but 
Right. No, it's kind of it's kind of a similar idea. Yeah, it's been lost, right? Everybody thinks like if you can find it, it's going to like give you know like a whole new series of like things to like check up and stuff. And I guess there has been cities that were like either buried by like uh, you know covered with water or covered by like uh, dirt or something like that. Then they like excavated it and found it and stuff like that. So like I think this is a pretty it's a pretty common thing. Yeah. Um, so Cisco gets it kind of in his mind that like he's going to use this spire thing. It's a Bontaka spire, and yes. I guess like they know somehow that they were like aligned to point towards like specific stars. And if they can figure out this writing, then they could probably get a good idea of like where it is. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't really talk about why he wants to do this, but he takes it down to like the hollow suites and he gets a like 3D digital version of it. And yep. he turns it into like a, you know, 24th century, like escape room puzzle kind of thing. Um, so he's working away. Quark comes in, tells him like, this looks like pretty lame, pretty boring. He says that he's got lots of pleasure puzzles to do <laughs> and that uh, he puts a secret surprise in the center. So my question is, what do you think a pleasure puzzle is and what do you think is at the center? Uh, I think the correct answer to both those questions is that we probably don't want to know. <laughs> this is Quark we're talking about, so it's anyone's guess. That's true. I think it is kind of an interesting thing that you could have. Like, um, have you done any like escape rooms that are like super popular right now? I've never gotten around to one of those uh, quite yet. No. So like, I've done a couple of them, and I kind of feel like this is what it'd be like. You know, like you could do like a holodeck version of it, where like you could do. And I guess that was kind of like the. Sherlock Holmes puzzles and stuff, and the, um, what was the one that, uh, Picard was always doing, the Dixon, Dixon Hill, Dixon Hill novels and stuff like that, so it makes sense that you could use the Hollow Suite as, like, a way to, like, kind of go in, like, do some entertainment, some puzzles and stuff, so that was pretty cool, um, Cisco gets shocked, and that's the end of the teaser, so, very shocking, shocking, yeah, like, uh, Goldfinger, shocking, absolutely shocking, yes, um, Pretty good opener, I thought. Pretty pretty short. Like, I think it was maybe only, like, a minute or two. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah? It's sort of set things up nicely. Yeah, and I think that's kind of all it was going for. So, it leads into Act 1. He's okay. He's got increased synopsis, which is, like, techno babble for, like, his brain is, like, super active, you know? Like, yeah. the whole limitless thing where now he's reaching parts of his brain that like never thought never before possible right and he's seeing colors that like no human can see that's exactly right like he's <laughs> he's on a whole new level and they even do like a, you know enjoy the ride or something Bashir says yeah like, yeah enjoy the show yes kind of thing. yeah so he's got the extra synopsis he's acting strange and did you pick up on the little like close encounters nod when he's having dinner with jake no. Have you seen Close Encounters? Uh, not in a long time. So anyway, in Close Encounters, uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character, like he, he basically goes into like a similar like thing where he's um, like all zoned out and he's trying to find like this particular mountain and the one day I'm having dinner and it's mashed potatoes, he's making the mountain out of the mashed potatoes and things uh. like that. So when he's doing the... Uh, he's like rearranging the food yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It's kind of like an homage to it. They also did it in The Simpsons. Remember when Homer wants to go to clown college? And he <laughs> makes like the big top tent with the mashed potatoes. That's from Close Encounters. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like the little, like you think that that's going to be kind of the main thing, but then 
like kind of somewhat out of nowhere, he gets the message from Admiral Watley that uh, Bayshore has been accepted and they're going to join the Federation. Um, I guess it's kind of too hard to go back and ask like what your original thoughts of that were back in the time, but um, I can tell you like from my perspective, I didn't really think that Bajor was ever going to join the Federation like until the end, you mm. know, like, you know how with Voyager, like one of the big knocks is, is that like, yeah, they obviously know that like they're not going to get home until the end. I kind of thought that Deep Space Nine was going to do the same thing. Like the whole season was going to lead up or to or the whole series was going to lead up to them joining. Yeah. Is that what you thought back way when you were a kid or not really? Um, I don't think I really thought about it much. Um, I figured it would happen eventually, but I wasn't really too hung up on when. Right. So I guess when I saw this the first time, it probably was a little bit shocking because it just sort of came out of nowhere. Like there wasn't really anything yeah, leading no up to up it. There was no like, oh yeah, Bejor's like really, you know, they're starting to get their act together and they're, you know, they're looking kind of promising to join the Federation. It just sort of like happened. Right. And I guess maybe that is how it would kind of happen if it were to come about, right? Uh, like they didn't really set any guidelines as an emissary like, well, okay, once you've got like this, that, the other thing, then you're going to be good to go. You're ready. Yeah. They just kind of left it ambiguous, which I mean, it means it makes it so that it can pop up at any time. Yeah. Um, so my other question is, uh, does Admiral Watley give everyone a job when he throws a party? And uh, did he become an admiral strictly for the jokes? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a Seinfeld uh, reference for those of you who may not understand the... <laughs> Hey, you yeah. know what? When you're doing a show from like 1996, like Seinfeld is perfectly relevant. It's true, yeah. Right? That was yeah. like when I was at his prime. I'm actually surprised we haven't come across a guest star yet that is, was also on Seinfeld because they're like tons bunch, of yeah. them. That's tons true. of them. Now, Brian Cranston, who was Watley on Seinfeld, he didn't, he was never on Star Trek at all. Thing. No, no, he wasn't. As far as I know. No, not yet. That's true, actually. Yeah, I mean, he could just pop up on Discovery. That'd be kind of cool. It would. He could be like a Klingon dentist. <laughs> God knows they would need one. Yeah, exactly. They like remember they have like a little like grinder that grinds the teeth in. Nog Nog had one, and Worf wanted to buy it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It wasn't Klingon. It was Nog. He was yeah. he had the teeth grinder. Yeah, when Nog was going to the academy, they were selling off all his stuff, and and Worf was all like, "Why am I even here, Jadzia? Why did you drag me to this thing?" And then he's like, "What is this?" And he's like. It's a tooth sharpener, and he tries it. He's like, how much? <laughs> Good memory. Yeah. All right, so Quark throws a big party, and it's kind of cool. Like, uh, they got the big Federation flag. Well, he puts up the wrong he Puts, puts up the wrong one flag, first. Flag, yeah, but... that was a nice touch. Yeah. yeah, and did you notice the Federation glasses that they all had? Yes. They were did. so sweet. I wish I could get one of those. They're like beer steins that they had, like, the Federation, the uh, Flatness logo. Yeah. Those yeah. were cool. They were pretty cool, yes. Um, and I guess this is, um, this is, like, shortly after Kira gets pregnant, right? So... Um, did you like her Bajoran militia maternity outfit? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think neat. it's even more cool that they actually have such uh, uniforms. I think, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of neat. It's like maternity wear for the military. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, did you, and I guess we should probably leave it for when we catch those things, but uh, I always thought that the Kira being pregnant thing was kind of a cool way of doing it. Yeah, it was uh, a very clever way of doing it. A very it, Star yes. Trek way of doing it. 
Yes, that's right. Me. Like I, I've not heard in other shows and stuff like that when women get pregnant, they just like they're always like holding a box or like standing behind like a pillar or something. Well, I remember on Voyager when when uh, Roxanne Dawson was pregnant, she wore that like really baggy like like um, smock yeah. thing over her uniform for no reason for nine months. And then <laughs> no, it was an engineering coat <laughs> for extra engineering goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, exactly. It's just, I mean. It's part of it, right? But I thought this was kind of a really cool way of, of doing it, right? Yeah. And also, did you know that, like, Nana Visitor, when she was pregnant, that was Bashir's baby? Yes. Um, yeah, I did. Fun, yeah. fun side note. Um, Some scandalous uh, activities, I guess, while they were filming. Or no, no, no. So. It's from that episode. Remember, it was that from that episode when they all, the characters, like, became, like, uh, sexually attracted to one another? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kira goes up to the Hall of Suite, and Sis goes off, kind of stunned, and that's the end of um, that's the end of Act One. Um, that swings us into uh, Act Two, where um, he's kind of into the whole like enlightenment. They call it a Pa Tem Bar, which is supposedly like some sort of secret vision. I yeah. think that uh, one of the things with like these beige or religious things is that they're like seems like there's a lot of different kinds like there's the orbs and then there's the visions and like the prophets can visit you like at any time and stuff so there's like many layers to like their faith and their religion right yeah we get pretty much all of them in this episode actually yeah that's true there is an orb experience there i guess the prophets don't really just talk sort of randomly talk to them now but there's a lot there's a lot in there yeah no it is it is a good one for that um, and so he kind of snaps out of it and he feel he was like, right, you know, like, have you ever had like a dream where something really exciting was going to happen? And then like you wake you up wake and up. you wanted like, ah, what was it? Right. So he was basically there and he figured out like almost exactly where it is when Kira, uh, Kira sh- shakes him awake. Um, yeah. and so then he kind of goes off on this little tire. This is the first mention of the dominion. He mentions that he sees the past, the present, and you can see the upcoming war with the Dominion. Yeah. And I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, ooh, okay, this is interesting because, um, like, I obviously had seen, like, books and board games and stuff with Dominion on it, and I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. So I remember when that came up, I was like, oh, okay, things are going to jump off. This is exciting. Um, are you surprised they gave it away so bluntly, so blatantly? Uh, I thought it, when I, I, I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious that it was going to happen sooner or later. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring in these, like, ultra, you know, totalitarian type, uh, faction into the universe, you know? I, I thought it was just going to happen at some point. Right. So, um, I don't, I, I don't even know if I caught that the first time I watched it. Well, it is kind of just like a very subtle line. And remember, back yeah. in the 90s, like it's not like you were going back and watching these episodes with a fine-tooth comb, right? Exactly. You're just watching it, and if you don't pick up on it, you don't pick up on it. And yeah. you didn't really even have like the internet forums to go on afterwards and debate every little you know, minute thing either. You just kind of watched it, and then maybe like on the schoolyard, if you had a couple of friends, you might talk about it. But yeah. it's kind yeah. of... Um, yeah, I guess it, it was very easy. Like, I had the luxury of watching it when I was older, right? So, it was different. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if... I feel like nowadays shows kind of, like, put out a bunch of little things, and not all of them end up kind of end up coming true. Yeah. Like, they, they kind of cover their bases kind of thing. 
So anyway, Kai Wynn shows up and uh, she's obviously there for the big inauguration and everything like that. But she is on like bitch level maximum here. Like it seems like she can't help herself. And last is she ever not at that level? You know what? Like Louise Fletcher is really good at like you just kind of like oh you know what I'm kind of seeing where she's coming from oh yeah yeah and a damn down. Oh, you know, I think she's okay. Not bad. Like, she is such a good actor. She plays this part so perfectly. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, she always is like that. But, um, yeah, it's just it's such a great character. It's like, this is a person you love to hate, you know? Um, and actually, last week you mentioned that you are not a huge Dukat fan. What are your uh, thoughts on Wynn? Uh, she's a pretty good villain. Uh, like, she's so self-serving. Oh, yeah. Like, in earlier episodes, it's a lot more blatant and a lot more obvious that she's just, like, out for herself. And, you know, it makes it pretty easy to dislike her as a... As, and I think that makes her a pretty pretty, pretty good villain, I, I would say. Yeah, she's like the ultimate politician, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think that um, she's one of my uh, favorite characters on the show, like, for side characters. Mm. Um, and, like I said... It's like you hate her guts, but you can appreciate it, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of a split here. There's not really an A plot, B plot this week either. Did you notice that? That it's mostly... They are pretty tightly woven, yeah. Like this is kind of like boom, 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 we got to go, right? Yeah. So um, just to add like another layer, Cassidy's back um, from prison that Cisco sent her to. Um, yeah. Is this how you would react if your loved one sent you to prison for six months? And uh, were you surprised with her reaction? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I guess, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting to see how they kind of reacted to each other when they sort of reunited. And having Cisco in this like weird sort of visionary trance kind of, he seems so nonchalant. Mm-hmm. when she came back and it's like was that because he's nonchalant and just because or because he's like in this weird like visionary state so it kind of made it kind of a weird reunion yeah i kind of felt like they almost regretted the sending her to prison for like that maquis thing because at this point it's like yeah okay the maquis story arc is done and it's kind of like how can we just drop this as fast as possible and just get back to like Cassidy and Cisco being together. Does that make sense? Like, if you send somebody away for six months, I don't know if you come back and you're like, hey, let's go on this, like, scavenger hunt. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, that's a tough one to kind of figure out, like, how would they react? And I don't think it's ever brought up again. Like, I think it's just like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. They don't really get into it uh, uh, after this, no. Yeah. I feel like it's almost, like, all forgiven. Let's continue. Well, Oops. Matt, if you sell me out and I have to go to prison for six months, when I come back, I'm not going to be uh, as happy to see you as Cassidy was. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. So anyway, he decides, you know what, he knows where it is, he solved it, and uh, they go to Bajor, they blast through the rocks, and uh, he finds it. So yeah. they found Bahal, big, big, big find, right? This has got to be like uh, finding Atlantis, right? Pretty much, yeah. Like, they've been trying to find it for probably thousands of years, and 
He's done it. He's done it. They even mentioned like archaeologists have been working on this for like millennia, and then he's just like, yeah, oh, there right. it is, guys. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They did mention that. I, I almost forgot. Hey, this is Matt, and you are listening to Random Trek Review. To get the latest podcasts and to read the RTR blog, visit our website at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Random Trek Review. You can find us on social media, uh, Twitter at Rando Trek Review, and on Instagram at Random Trek Review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, and prefer old school email, feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, so that sends us back to uh, Act Three. So that was kind of um, that was kind of what Cisco's up to. Um, we're back to the Bajor stuff, and you get kind of a funny scene with Odo and uh, Warp. They're like arguing about um, who's going to stay where, and like, do captains get uh, you know rooms, and where are the admirals going to stay? Because everybody's coming for the big inauguration, um, yeah. and. I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, Odo's not really in this episode a whole ton, but, like, he definitely has a really great bit here. Did you like that scene? I know that you're a big Odo fan. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, it's a great scene. Um, are they're, like, they're arguing, and they're just, like, citing all this, like, obscure, like, naval traditions. <laughs> like, no, he captains a starship, so his quarters should be just as nice as the Admiral's. Right. And Odo's like, but that makes no sense. Well, I have ranks then, and all this stuff. And it was, yeah, it was pretty funny. It was good. It's naval tradition, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it was keel hauling. Yes, yeah. That's Do you true. know what keel hauling is? Keel hauling. Um, hauling a keel? Uh, sure. So this is like uh, back during like pirate days and stuff like that. If somebody like uh, screwed you over, it was bad or whatever, you like tie them up and you put them on a rope and you throw them overboard oh. and you drag them behind the boat. Right. Oh, yes. Okay. As seen in For Your Eyes Only. Yes. Correct. So anyway, I, I had to Google it. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, Admiral Watley's growing impatient. Um, and he actually ends up going to Bajor to see Bahala and to kind of say that Cisco, like, what's going on? You know, like, we've got this is a huge, right? Like, you've been working for years trying to get Bajor in. They're finally about to do it. Um, you know, we got to figure out how we're going to, like, integrate the militia and the government. Like, there's lots of things that you have to do when you join the Federation. And mm -hmm. um, he's kind of getting a little bit impatient with Cisco. Um, does he have a point and is Cisco being the emissary of conflict of interest? I think he, well, he's, he's got his own things to be worried about, right? Like, he, yeah, he's got a point. I mean, Cisco's still a Starfleet captain and this is like his, his show. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know this, the whole emissary versus captain thing. Like that's something that they sort of teeter totter with throughout the series really. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't, that's a tough one. I mean, it's not even really something he asked for. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's, like, it's something that I guess he has to, like, wrestle with throughout the whole series. And it definitely saves him a couple of times. Like, it gets him in couple, trouble a couple of times, and it saves him a couple of times. Yes, that's right? very true. Because, like, he essentially is a god on Bajor, so if they try to get rid of him or, like, put him on, uh, you know, latrine duty, <laughs> that's not happening, right? Nope. So I think it gives him a little bit of, uh, wiggle room that other people maybe wouldn't have had, right? So, yeah, yeah. 
Then we bounce back. This is a, it, it is a weird episode, actually, the pacing. It's kind of like, it's almost like a metronome, and it's bouncing from Cisco to, like, what other people are doing. Cisco to what other people are doing. Um, so we bounce back, and we get this kind of heart-to-heart scene with Ki- Kai Wynn and Kira, where yeah. um, Wynn is in a completely different light again. Like, she, she's kind of changed her tune, like I was saying, and now she's looking more sympathetic, right? She's mentioning how, you know, during the occupation when Kira had, like, she could go and get weapons and, like, just fight. Like, she was, like, in an internment camp or something like that, and the only yeah. thing she had was her faith. Um, did, did it work on you? Did you feel sorry for winning this scene? Maybe a little, but not really. No? No. I have very little sympathy for Kai Win. <laughs> she's... She's, she's a terrible person. Yeah, I you know what, and I, I, I feel the same way, but this is this is the kind of thing that makes me like the character a lot, is that right when you're like, oh, I hate her guts, it's like, oh, well, she was in that internment camp. Oh, but she screwed over Kira. Oh, but, you know, she was, like, working to help people in Basil. Like, she is a very polarizing kind of person, and she kind of is, like, that little bit of flippy floppy, right? Where, like, now she seems like she's all on board and, you know, she, she's, uh, you know, anxiously waiting for it to happen. So, I think that it's, um, yeah, it's a very well-written character, to say the least. Yeah, yep. She's definitely, yeah, she like she's very manipulative, I feel, and that's why I kind of dislike her so much. Yeah, and that's, again, she's a politician, right? Yeah. And that's what makes it so good. And she's a religious figurehead, too, which is just, yeah. you know, makes it double, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so Cisco comes back and like this scene is almost like humorous in a way. Like he's got celebrity status. He's like going around and just telling people like these like words of wisdom. Like he's almost like one of those like deep south like preachers, you know? Like oh, the, yeah. the, the fields will return. Oh, this that like. Um, he even tells the admiral like, "Don't worry, your son forgives you." <laughs> yeah. He's just like, "What?" Whoa, like that. That did you like that scene, or do you think that's kind of going a bit too far? Uh I would maybe say it's bordering on getting a little bit over the top, but I mean, it sort of give it sort of gives you an idea of like just how prophetic these visions are, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. I think it fit with the episode, even though it was it was almost like you say it was almost funny. Like he's just like he's just person to person, person to person. Yeah. Like don't worry, this will be fine. Don't worry. I know. Like I, I almost kind of feel like if if there was like a bad thing that was gonna happen, would he be like you know, don't go near the turbo lift on this day, like the big <laughs> thing. You know, like I, I yeah, it was it was maybe a little bit much, but it leads to him eventually like busting into the big celebratory party where they're about to sign the papers yeah. and he has this big revelation that there's a cloud of locusts and it's going to go to Cardassia and if Bajor joins the Federation it'll be destroyed um, now um, literally all this stuff happens correct? the locust thing did that happen? so to me I always thought or when I watched it anyway do you remember there's the scene where the um, Jem'Hadar fighters are going to like go towards Bajor? Like they almost look like a bug. Yes. You know how like true. underneath yeah. they like yeah. that purple bit like looks like a like a like a beetle or something? Yeah. Yeah. And remember there's like that bit where um, it looks like there's going to be the big brouhaha and Dukat like takes them all back to Cardassia. Like when he kind of uh, sells out the Federation. Yeah, yeah. 
And remember, they only leave Bajor because Bajor isn't part of Starfleet. So, like, when the big war breaks out, Bajor, like, just Switzerland in yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, do you think that that's what it was? Like, that's what I thought it was. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Because if Bajor yeah. had joined, they would have been the very first planet outside the wormhole. They're going to come in and just torture, right. right? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's true, yeah. Like, maybe that's what it means. I don't know. I wasn't really sure what the locusts filling the sky was supposed to actually be. Now, yeah, I have to admit, I don't really know what a locust looks like. It's just like a bug, isn't it? Like a grasshopper? It's like a grasshopper, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, if that was what it was, um, then I think that's kind of a cool... It's a really cool kind of foreshadow, right? And, like, I was just subtle enough, too, like, if that's what it was, that it really didn't give away that Ducat thing a little bit later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. Right? Because, like, the Ducat thing still surprised me, even though, and then afterwards I was like, oh, was that the thing? You know, like, I think that that's really good. It's not heavy-handed or anything. I think the best part of the Locusts is when he first, like, when he, like, announces, and he's like, Locusts! Yeah. Just, like, one word. Yeah, this is like, this is Avery Books, like, really, like, giving her, right? Oh, yes, yeah, this is a tremendous, uh, yeah, bit of work by Avery Brooks. Yeah, he's really good in this, and I think that, like, yeah, this is why, if people like Cisco as, like, their favorite captain or whatever, or if they like Avery Brooks for his performance, it's this kind of stuff, I feel like, that really is what people remember, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, um... It turns out that he's, he needs the surgery because, like, basically these visions are getting closer and closer, but they're basically going to kill him. Um, but if they do, it's the catch-22. He'll lose the visions. Now, he actually mentions that, like, maybe once, maybe twice, that, like, he actually will be able to eventually discern what the meaning of life is and, like, the beginning and end of the universe and everything like that. Um, yeah. And so it's it makes it really difficult choice, right? So he has to decide, figure out, like, the meaning of everything, or, <laughs> yeah. and die, or potentially live. Um, what would you do? If it was strictly up to me, like, between, like, knowing all things mm. and dying, or living, like, what good is knowing all things if you're dead? Well, you could tell everyone else. Well, maybe. 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 I don't know. I, I feel like, well, I, I think it's kind of a tough question because I'm not Ben Sisko and I'm not the emissary of the prophets. So right. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I I obviously would choose to live, but who knows? Maybe it was just so great knowing all these things. He seemed to be leaning the other way. Oh, right? he was definitely leaning the other way. He was ready to lay down his life to to know all things. Right. So it's just so tempting, right? Well, um, and I guess the other question is: is like, does he eventually get here anyway? Because at the end, he ends up, like, with the prophets, like, when he dies and falls in the fire cave, right? Yeah. So he he, he eventually gets to figure it all out anyway. I've never really read any of the post-books, but... Yeah, I, I, I haven't read any of those books either, so I'm not really sure what happens with Cisco when he gets sort of uh, rescued from falling to his death by the mm-hmm. prophets. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting question. I think maybe that's why they they leave it. And I think that they also kind of do a really good, like if it wasn't already weighing on your mind, they, they flip, flip to that op scene where you have like a really weird, um, like a really weird tag team. You have 
Kira and Worf <laughs> on one team, and you've got O'Brien and Dax on the other team. Like, that's not typically the teams that you would think pair up. But Kira and Worf are on the side of, like, faith. Like, yeah, let him die. He wants to to figure out all the stuff. And you've got O'Brien and Dax on the more science-based things. They're like, no, like, he definitely has to live, right? Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good scene. Um, and Very I think Star trek scene. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I like that in Star Trek, it's not like you always just go with, like, your spouse or it's not like you always just go with, like, your best friend or whatever. People actually have, like, a very strong set of morals that they just stick with. And if somebody's against it, then whatever, you're just against them on that, like, topic. Mm -hmm. And then when it's all done, you just go on to the next thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was a cool scene. Um, I also thought that the actual like meeting when they were going to do the whole like joining of the Federation was really cool. Um, is there any other times that we see planets join or like the what the process is, the paperwork being signed? No, I don't believe so, no. In Enterprise, they do like a thing to make the Federation, but that's not really the same. No, no, no. This is, I think, the only time we really see a planet join the federation and they don't even do it right yeah it was it was a false start i guess yeah but i guess that's what it looks like you all sit around everyone signs it's like uh you know some piece of paper that they'll put up in the admiral watley makes a nice little speech yeah they all have like uh, (laughs) romulan ale or something afterwards right no no romulan ale is illegal oh that's right is it by the end of the series though no i don't think so no it isn't because there's one scene Later on in Deep Space Nine, where shortly after the Romans joined the war, where Admiral Ross is all like, "Nope, it's it's the the embargo's been lifted. We can drink yeah. all the Romulan ale." And it's like they're on that. Uh, it's like the set of Voyager, but it's like that other intrepid ship. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember that now. <laughs> um, so we go into the last act. Jake decides he can't really live without his father. He's only eighteen, but he's old enough to be the next of kin. Uh, so he saves the dad. Um, his dad's sorry. Um, yep. Kai wins, none too happy. Bayshore well, of course is not. on the outs, it's going to stay independent. Um, do you think that the writers had this all written ahead of time and this was all part of the big long plan, or do you think that they just thought this was kind of a cool story and they were not so certain? Hmm. I feel like they probably would have had it written ahead of time that he didn't wouldn't have gone through with it till the end because. Mm-hmm then what <laughs> you know what happens well, after that when Cisco's like this all-knowing being you know well they, there was like Q and stuff but yeah that wouldn't really work on the day-to-day if you have somebody who knows the future the present the past then there's no point right yeah that would have been tricky to to deal with uh going forward yeah right <laughs> now I mean that being said I did read once that like Voyager, like the big thing with Voyager was it was like uh, Gilligan's Island, right? Like every time you think, oh, they're going to get home, oops, it didn't work, <laughs> right? Um, but in the very first episode of Voyager, there's like that caretaker, and the caretaker mentions that there's like another one, like yep. somewhere in, in the Delta Quadrant, and apparently that was like a like parachute. Trapdoor. Yeah, just if, if it wasn't really working, they would have just found the other caretaker and just gotten back and went to like a regular kind of show. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, I mean, who knows? We can talk about that another time. But, like, I almost kind of feel like this one wouldn't be as easy to write your way out of. If he had become, like, omnipotent, you would have been like, oh, this is really hard to write out, you know? Like, well, it would have just probably taken off some somewhere else. Yeah, maybe, right? Yeah. 
Um, and so Watley's not really too happy. Although again, Cisco, he's that emissary. He's got the charm. He kind of he kind of gets his he kind of gets out of it. He doesn't really get in trouble at all, really. No, he doesn't. Uh, I mean, the Admiral was not happy, but uh, what was it that Ben said to him? He's like, "Don't worry, one day Bajor will join the Federation." And he and, says, "Yeah, I'll keep the champagne." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I guess that sort of exonerated Cisco a little bit, but I, yeah, no, that, that Admiral guy was not, Admiral Wally was not happy. Yeah, he's a little cheese, but not too, too much. I mean, Jake and Cassidy are both super, super happy, and they kind of do at the end, like that, like, you know, when kids try to decide, like, who is going to go first at bat, and they, like, one hand, and the other, and the other, the other, and that's yeah. a wrap. That's, uh, that's Rapture in a nutshell. All right, well, we've uh, exhausted the plot. We've, uh, you know, taken it over the coals, talked about it, debated it. Let's talk about the characters um, and the people who play them and uh, kind of look at their arcs. There Again, we did this last week when we looked at uh, Cassidy and um, Ducat. We're going to do kind of a similar thing this week as well. Kind of look at where they're at, where they came from, where they're going. Um, and does this episode really do anything for those particular characters? So um, mm -hmm. the first one is Win. This is the the first time that we've seen Kai Win, um, and I mean she's in a ton of episodes. But um, in terms of all the ones that she's in, did you think that uh, this was kind of adding to her character, taking away from her character, uh, step in the right direction, step in the wrong direction? Uh, I don't think it really did anything too significant with her character i mean i guess it is one of the rare times when we sort of kind of see a bit of a softer side other than the mischievous self-serving uh villain yeah and like i mentioned i really liked that bit where she talked about when she was in the camps because they didn't really talk about what happened to like the political figures and the religious figures like during that time they all you always see it from like the resistance side of things so I thought that was a nice little ad, but by the same token, this really isn't like a Kai Win episode, right? Like this is totally no. a Cisco episode featuring Kai Win. So um, I think that again, this is another great performance by Louise Fletcher. Um, she's such a good actress. Like I, we haven't really talked about her yet, but um, like that was a really good get for Deep Space Nine. I thought anyway. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. Like she pretty, she plays that character really well. Um, do you know why, like, she must have been in some famous show, because it always says special guest star. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, I think it's because she won an Oscar for um, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. Wow, yeah. I did not know that. So, I think she was, like, pretty young then. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think so. Oh, I think that, um, I think she plays, like, the nurse, because you know how like, Jack Nicholson's in a, uh, like, a mental institution? Yeah. So there's, like, uh, one key figure nurse, and I think that she was, um, she was that, she was that nurse, and, uh, I think it was, like, Best Supporting Actress, Oscar, mm -hmm. so that's why she's a special guest. Like, she's obviously right. a lot older at this point, but still a pretty big deal. Yeah, um, if you win an Oscar, I think you've earned the title of Special <laughs> Guest Star on Star Trek. Exactly. Um, all right, Admiral Watley. I brought up Admiral Watley um, not because he has a particular art. I think this is the only time that we see him. Correct. Um, yes. But enough. it is kind of one of those fun things. It's always fun to see the admirals um, and not an evil admiral either. 
which is also good to see. Not that we know of. Well, no, yeah, not in this particular episode. <laughs> so my question to you is, who is your favorite Deep Space Nine Admiral? Let's see, there was Ross. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of choices here. There was Ross, there was Nechev, there was Wally. Well, Nechev was in like one episode, and she's more next generation. No, she thought she showed up at, in at, like early on a couple of times. I think she was in the Maquis, and that was about it. Oh, okay. Um, Whatever. She, we'll count her, I guess. Uh, is there any other admirals we can think of? There aren't that many. There's not that many. It's all like Next Generation when there's like one every like third episode. It's <laughs> like talking to Jean-Luc on the, the subspace radio. Right. Well, I'm going to take Admiral Ross myself. Because he was actually almost like a... Like a side character really. yeah in the he last couple seasons of... he's in a lot of episodes yeah and he's like one of those guys that's just cooler than cool and he was not really well I he got tangled up in some some of that nasty business i really didn't like that with section 31 no i didn't yeah. like that up until then he would have been maybe best admiral ever but that yeah that kind of spoiled him a little bit he's a contender yeah for for best admiral ever yeah uh, and then Cassidy Yates, so we talked about her a little bit. She's coming back from her prison stint. Um, what did you think of her in this episode? And um, is this kind of a reset, or do you think this is kind of like a, a good step in the direction for her character? Well, coming back from prison, I, get, I mean, it brings her back into the picture. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I think the way they sort of approach this is almost like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't have like written her off the show. Maybe right. she does still play have a role to play here. Because, I mean, we talked about how they don't even really mention her being in prison at all after this. Like, it doesn't come up ever, I no, don't I think. So, um, I think maybe they sort of have like a moment of regret <laughs> Like, sort, yeah. of, sort of half writing her off the show and was like, no, we still need to have Cassidy Yates. Right. They, still... they kind of covered it by being like it was a six-month prison stay. Yeah. But then yeah. didn't Garrett go to prison too? What did, what did Garrett go for? I forget. I thought that he had like a little prison stay as well. Like he did something that he had to like go for. I feel like Garrett's while. way too smart to get to caught get and, get... Up in that. <laughs> and go to jail. And I probably should have checked my facts before I threw that one out. Um, yeah, Cassidy's pretty good in this episode, and this is, this is kind of, um, when we really start to see that, like, the, these two are going to be a couple, like, even, oh, yeah. like, it's, it's pretty much locked in at this point, she becomes more, much more prominent as we go. Um, so that was yeah. kind of it for the big cast and characters, Morn, eh, we don't really need to talk about Morn, he doesn't really do much in this one. Did you know that there's like a fun, a running joke of like, how long can we have Morn in the show and have him not say anything? It yeah. Was like a, it was like a running gag. Yeah, there's always kind of a running thing where like Quark is like, well, you know Morn, he never shuts up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like those kinds of things. Or, right? or there wasn't there one when uh, Morn, for some reason, was like running along the promenade naked, rebelling, we're all gonna die, and Odo's <laughs> yeah. like, like, can you, like, he had Quark, like, in for questioning. He's like, why don't you tell us uh, why Morn was running around the promenade? <laughs> yeah, like, there was always those little in-jokes, which were really, really funny, yeah. actually. Uh, and I remember there was an episode, too, where, like, he was going to, like, tell his life story, and he, like, opens his mouth, and it's like, oh, wait, no, like, some other thing happened. <laughs> like, it was always getting interrupted. Yeah, poor Morn. Yeah, it's, that that is kind of a funny thing, especially since, like, for such a, like, it's obviously Norm from Cheers, Cheers. right? Like, at yeah. the and I mean, for such like a silly thing, they actually did a really good job of kind of it being a long, 
long running gag. And it didn't ever got stale. Like they didn't right. go to it too many times. It was just like you know, you sort of forget about it and then they you know, bust out a Mormon joke right. and yeah. then it goes, you know, fifteen episodes, twenty episodes, and right. then there's another you one. You just see him in the background. Yeah. That's it, right? yeah. And actually, Morin's in Star Trek Online. Like, if you drive to Bajor and go to the Deep Space Nine, he'll be at the bar sitting there. <laughs> of course. And even if you talk to him and say, tell me a story, it kind of, like, hits it, and then, like, it kind of goes to black. And then when it comes back, your character's, like, exhausted from hearing it, but you don't <laughs> actually get to see anything. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Nice. All right, so let's hit some odds and ends, some memorable scenes, some memorable quotes, and then uh, we'll give our final thoughts and a rating. So um, just kind of some interesting little pieces. Some of these things are actually kind of some big talking points, but um, when Cisco's kind of going through the that, uh, you know, that scene we talked about where he's going, he's talking to everybody and stuff, he mentions to somebody um, from Livia that the crops are going to, you know, be good this year. Yes. I guess that's like a throwback to like season one, episode one, when they actually mentioned that particular place in Bajor is having like the worst drought or something like that. And the plants mm-hmm. are horrible. So that was like a little Easter egg kind of thing. Very um, Easter eggy. Yes. I had no idea. Yeah. I would have picked up on that. And actually there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like emissary connections. Like when Cisco talks about holding, um, Jake, it's very similar to um, in Emissary when he talks about what it was like to like have that profit um, experience, which I thought was kind of cool. Again, another tie into Emissary because I mean this is the fifth season, so like, yeah, that's, that's a long way back to have people remember. Right? Yeah, that's going back a little ways. Yep, <laughs> five years. So the other uh, the other kind of interesting one, I actually um, it's uh, it's. A, I don't remember this episode super, super well, but apparently Cisco goes back to Bahala in the episode called Reckoning. Yes. Um, I don't really remember the Reckoning all that well either, but um, I think it does kind of, yeah, I do kind of remember that he did end up going back to Bahala. Yeah, and there was something like in the, again, they find like a architect or something, or, uh, something in the stones, right? And then yeah. Off. I don't remember that one very well, but... This isn't just a one-off. Um, and this was really hard. I was biting my tongue throughout, but this is the new uniforms. It is, yes. So this is uh, the first episode with the gray shoulders, uh, shoulders yeah. and then you, the science or engineering or uh, the red command underneath. Yeah. Um, so where do those sit for you in terms of like your ranking of uniforms oh i love those uniforms yeah i think that was I think the best they ever did yeah i think those are the best ones that they did for yeah i i, I really like them yeah yeah um now because this is the first episode with the new uniforms this opens up a bashir conundrum did you think of that when you uh were watching it or no i didn't notice anything with bashir no so in a couple of episodes from now there is an episode where Worf and Korg and Garrick get captured by the Jem Hadar, and they get put on this like prison. It's on an asteroid. Yes. Okay. And they talk about this guy who's in solitary confinement, and he's like causing all this trouble or whatever. Yeah. And they open it up, and it's Bashir, and Bashir yes. is wearing the old style, like Voyager and Deep Space and early Deep Space Nine like uniform. Yep. Right. Yep. So that means that the Bashir in this episode has to be a changeling. That's correct. 
right? That's Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So then the question becomes, how did the changeling know how to do like that complicated synoptic brain surgery? He must have gone to Starfleet Medical. <laughs> he um, was very well prepared to impersonate uh, Dr. Bashir. Right. And he obviously didn't want the, he didn't want Cisco to like die of. Boy, would they like to have a do over there? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Oopsie. Maybe they should have just like uh yeah, wiped him out there. Um, do you think this is like a oopsie by the writers that they didn't really think of that or they thought later it'd be yeah. cool with Bashir and he's in the old uniform, um because yeah, it means that this episode and the next episode I think is changeling Bashir. Yeah, you know, I think maybe they just didn't um I mean, I think the whole reason they put him in the old uniform was try to, like, hit home that he'd been there for a while. Right. And maybe they sort of got a little ambitious with that. Right. But, I Were mean, they... I think it was, I mean, I think it was very effective. Oh, so cool when he came out in the old yeah. uniform. Because yeah. Because you're like, oh, he's been there for, like, ever. For, like, a know? month or, or two months or what, yeah. Right. And, yeah. again, it's not during the time where people went back and actually, like, watched these things, like, so religiously, right? Um, yeah, so yeah. it was kind of one of those things where, um, yeah, you wouldn't even have thought, oh, wait, the, the last episode he did this, right? And yeah, if it was yeah. any other episode, it probably wouldn't really matter if he was just kind of mulling about. But yeah. um, I thought that was really cool. Um, and actually, the admirals are all wearing the old uniforms, though. The yeah, old like admiral the, uniforms. Yeah, like the next generation uniforms, yeah. So I guess it's like they haven't rolled out those new admiral uniforms with the big belt buckle. Yeah. <laughs> Like the Admiral Ross one with like the massive belt buckle. Those ones haven't been yeah, made not, yet. I'm not sure why they did that. Like even in earlier Deep Space Nine, like there's an episode where that takes place on Earth. Mm-hmm. And the Admiral in that one, he, and, and actually I think all of the officers were all wearing the old style next generation uniforms. So maybe it's like a Earth slash high ranking officer thing. Well, I think that what they wanted to do originally was they wanted to have, like, the Starship people have, like, the TNG uniforms, and then because it was on a space station, it was more like a, like a jumpsuit. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, because you're going to be, like, climbing conduits and, like, reaching around and stuff like that, so they were like, if you're on a space station, you don't need, like, formal dress attire, you're just going to have, like, a jumpsuit. Yeah, um, that and makes that sense. That actually makes, because Picard still is wearing... His TNG episode yeah. in Emissary and everything like that. Um, and then they screwed it up with Generations. <laughs> right? They screwed up a lot of things. <laughs> uh, Uniforms, yes, they definitely did. Because if, if, if that was the case, then it worked perfectly. Because you're right, when they go to Earth, all the people at Earth are wearing the like more formal ones. And yeah. the Deep Space Nine guys are wearing the ones with the gray undershirts. Right? But once Voyager came about in Generations, it was just like that. Yeah. Um, Did you notice that Cisco's was a little messed up? Like it was all tattered and stuff. No, they like they didn't like cut it right. Like the sh- the gray shoulder went like way too low, and he was wearing his communicator on the gray part. You know, I did notice that the one time it didn't really look right. It yeah. was yeah, it looked way like when he like falls back when he has the vest on underneath, especially you can tell it's like not yeah, yeah. Very I don't correct. think I don't think they like measured right or something. So I mean, <laughs> that kind of leads us to the next thing. There is kind of like a little throwaway line that like the Defiant is off, like needing repairs because yeah. this is the episode that was like right around when First Contact came out. 
And so once First Contact wrapped, they took all the uniforms, dumped them on Deep Space Nine. They took all the Deep Space Nine uniforms, dumped them on Voyager. So there's like definitely like a hand-me-down <laughs> effect happening here. Um, did you did you pick up on the Defiant line or no? I missed that. No, hey, I missed it. Yeah. So I guess like the showrunners were not super duper happy with how they handled the Defiant in First Contact because it just gets dummied by the yep. board ship. And so they kind of just like begrudgingly like mentioned, oh yeah, like it's getting repairs. And then they kind of just left it at that. I think they mentioned one other time, like, oh, that nasty Borg incident, but there's... Yeah, there was a one other, I think it might be in the next episode or the right. one after where Cisco's like, mentioned something about the recent Borg attack. Right. There's a line, yeah, there was a line, yeah, I, I know. I but I think they kind of wanted to leave it like, yeah, that's that, this is this, and they kind of didn't want to, you know, yeah. kind of do too much with it um but i mean if you think about this is the quality of deep space nine that you're getting and first contact is in theaters like was this the best time to be a star trek fan because this is like tng deep space nine like voyager like it's firing on all cylinders man late 90s yeah i'll tell you it was pretty fun um you know the we're in season five, so Voyager would have been season three, mm-hmm. and it was you know the, the first couple seasons were very hit or miss of Voyager, and I think three and four is when it really started to get its legs. Yeah. So you know, Deep Space Nine is just about like on the cusp of getting really, Amazing, really yeah. good, and Voyager is starting to get good. You know, First Contact was the best next generation movie by a long shot. So, I mean, it was, for someone who, like, lived through it, albeit at a fairly young age, like, it was pretty, it was pretty fun. Yeah. You know, two, two nights a week, you're, you got a, you got new episodes, basically. Yeah, it's crazy to think about now, because now it seems like so long between movies, and so long between seasons, right? So, yeah. it, uh, it is definitely, it's definitely, yeah, the, it's definitely a different time now than it was then. Um, do you have a favorite quote from the, uh, from this episode? You know, I, I usually can pick out something funny or unusual or just, just generally good. There wasn't really a lot of one-liners in this though. I can't even really think of any, like there was some funny scenes. Like I remember there was, um, one sort of classic Odo Quark scene where, you know, Odo's giving him the business cause Quark's like hollow sweet shorted out and, you know, caused Cisco to be shocked and um you know Odo, and Odo, or uh, quark is like well if, i i tried to get my idiot brother rom to fix them but chief o'brien's got him doing this and that and the other thing and he doesn't have time so uh if anyone's being negligent here it's chief o'brien for not fixing my hollow yeah. suites you know so but uh, i can't really think of any good like one-liners from this one uh, I had a couple. Uh, there's a great Kai Wynn line when um, she gets to the station and Kira's there to greet her because um, Cisco's off um, doing something else. And she goes, you look very... And then she like looks down at like her pregnant stomach and is like, sweet. And then turns like on a 90 or 45 degree <laughs> angle and walks away. Like, just... That, like, you know, that's kind of like the jerky ant, you know? Like, <laughs> just digging those screws in. Um, I thought that was a good one. Um, there's a line where Admiral Watley makes allusions that um, Cisco found it by making a lucky guess, which I thought oh, was yeah. kind of funny. He made a lucky guess. Um, 
Then uh, there was the I'll Keep the Champagne on Ice, which was another Admiral Watley line. I liked that one a lot. Uh, but the one that I'm going to take this week is uh, Kai Win line. And the line is, um, you had your weapons to protect you. All I had was my faith. I thought that was a pretty cool line. Uh, again, that was in that scene where they were kind of having heart to heart. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty solid episode. And uh, let's hear your final thoughts and give me a rating out of five. Montaka Spires. I this is a pretty good one. Um, I I I think it's sort of like a I I, th- I used the term linchpin earlier on. I mean, it really sort of led to. A lot of the good things that sort of happen in the later uh, seasons of Deep Space Nine, and and it was interesting, like you know Cisco with his visions, and and um, you know it was sort of a more in depth look at sort of Bajoran religion and culture. Um, so I, I think I'm gonna go with uh, four Bentaka spires out of five. How about you? Um. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is a good one. I mean, it was. I watched it like once through and then kind of went back and watched some bits and pieces and it like it doesn't drag it doesn't slow down like it's just a firecracker of an episode it just goes boom 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 the characters are all good there's nothing that's really like eye rolly sometimes you get like you know the b plot or something that's just like exhausting this was like there's no time for it we're just going go 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 um, I don't think I'm going to put it in my all-time, like, uh, platinum edition episodes, but I'm there right with you. A solid four out of five. Um, I'll talk Aspires. All right, well, we're at the end of the line here, and it's everybody's favorite, most exciting, most tense part of the show where Very I tense. Reach into the big straw hat and I pull out Matt a nice fresh episode for next week. Very fresh. Fresh indeed. So I'm just going to dig in here and pull one out. I hope it's a good one. Ooh, it is an interesting one. Interesting. It's an interesting one. So it's the original series. Okay. Okay, so I know that you love the original series. It's season three, so we're getting to the end of the line, and it's almost right near the very end. It's episode number 23, All Are Yesterdays. All Are Yesterdays. So, um, if you are playing at home, this is the one time that I will ask you to pause the podcast, write down as much of it as you can possibly remember, any A plot, B plot, quotes, trivia, anything that you can think of under the sun, and then turn it back on and see how Matt does. Maybe uh, it will uh, jog your memory, or maybe you guys are on the same wavelength, which uh, is always the best case. So uh, put one minute on the clock. and uh, I hope you're not on the same wavelength. I'm not very confident about this one. Okay, well, you've got one minute. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, and go. Uh, I'm going to be totally honest here. I've never seen this episode. I'm not, I don't really have much clue what happens, but since it's uh, the title is Tomorrow is Our Yesterdays, I'm going to guess it involves both Spock, McCoy, and Kirk going on some sort of time-traveling adventure where they maybe they go back in time to earth and 
have to solve some problem. History's been altered and they have to fix it. Uh, uh, let's see, what else can I throw in here that might get me some points? Uh, I'm gonna guess McCoy says I'm not a doctor, I'm a blank at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Spockner pinches somebody. Um, and Kirk uh, two-handed punches somebody in the back of the neck. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. So, you're thinking it's time travel. You're thinking there's going to be a lot of classic Trek tropes. I mean, it is called All Our Yesterdays. I feel like I vaguely remember that there is... I guess there was Yesterday's Enterprise. That was a... That was a TNG episode. Yep. And I feel like there was an episode of the animated series that was about yesterday's as well. I, th I think you're right. I think it's kind of like something happens. A big accident, big explosion sends them back in time and they kind of meet up with a society and they, um, you know, they go through the, the, the whole like, you know, back in time thing um, and they have to set it back right. It's... Ah, it's a tough one, eh? Um, I guess we'll have to yeah. wait and see. Yeah, so, we'll uh, you know what? Run to Netflix, run to your DVD collection, run to wherever you watch your Star Trek, and watch along with us as next week we watch the original series, All Our Yesterdays. Or will it be yesterday that we watch? Or oh, will it be yesterday? Maybe. Maybe, Maybe it'll be tomorrow. <laughs> Bum 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 b